Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark 5, we'll be reading verses 1 through 20 in just a moment. Do just want to remind you, this Saturday, the 19th, 6 o'clock, is our chili cook-off. And again, very simple instructions. Just show up and eat chili. And uh, so we're, we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a good time. We've got uh, some chili masters who are going to be preparing their best chili. And uh, we get to eat it. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. This Saturday, 6 o'clock, right here at the building. Mark chapter 5. Let's read verses 1 through 20 of Mark chapter 5. Hear now the word of the true and living God. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the de demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we sit before Your Word, help us to understand. Lord Jesus, help us to see You clearly. Holy Spirit, our Helper, Help us by enlightening the eyes of our hearts and our minds. God, help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
mentioned on the Thursday evening broadcast on Facebook that the chapter break here for Mark chapter 5, in my opinion, is unfortunate. Now, chapters and verses, in case you didn't know, those are not inspired. The, the chapter numbers and the verses didn't come from God the Holy Spirit. Those were inserted years later after the text had been delivered to God's people by God Himself. Nevertheless, it's what we have. And so the setup for chapter 5, verses 1 through 20 occurs in chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, where you have the scene where Jesus is on the boat with His disciples in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a lake, in the middle of the night, and Jesus asleep on the back of, in the back of the boat on a cushion. His disciples wake Him up. He rebukes the storm, and it is a rebuke. Stop! Quit! Hush! And... The storm quits, the sea becomes glass, and the question we're left with at the end of chapter 4 is, who is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Your translation may say, what manner of man is this? We pick up in chapter 5, and it gives us the rest of the story. It is answering that question. And so here in chapter 5, and there, there's a, a number of steps that we could take with Jesus here in Mark chapter 5. Uh, we can be sensitive to people's uh, physical needs. You know, that's verses 21 and following, especially 25 and following, where we have the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus is sensitive to her needs. We can commend people for their faith. Verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Uh, we can encourage people in their faith. When the people from Jairus' house show up and say, your daughter is dead, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. And then we can have faith in the ability of God to work beyond the vision of people when Jesus shows up at the house and He says she's only sleeping, He's laughed at, and it's a derisive laughter that the people laugh. But here we want to focus on verses 1 through 20, where Jesus comes in contact with the demoniac whose name is Legion. And Jesus confidently faces the spiritual forces of darkness. And He has this confidence because, one, He's aware of the resources His Father has provided Him. He's aware of who He is as the Son of God. He is aware that the Spirit, he, He's being led by the Spirit in all that He does. But also, He is aware of His access to His Heavenly Father and to the resources of the Holy Spirit of God. This is Jesus, the God-man, but especially the man Jesus, who is showing us these steps. He knows the power that He has access to, and He utilizes that to rescue the perishing, and to care for the dying. And it is Christ's reliance upon the resources of His Father that enables Him to confidently face the spiritual forces of darkness. And in a similar way, it will be our reliance upon the resources of our Heavenly Father and the resources of the Spirit who's within us that will enable us to face the spiritual forces of darkness as they present themselves to us in our world. Let's notice here in Mark chapter 5, 
verses 1 through 20. How we might cultivate confidence in walking step in step with Jesus. We've no doubt read this story many times before. They've been, the disciples and Jesus, have been on the sea all night. And they come across and they finally reach land. The text doesn't say it. i got to believe the disciples kissed the ground when they got there. They'd been terrified the night before. But no sooner do they land, and it's probably the early hours of the morning, you know, when it's still kind of twilight, still kind of dark outside. Sun hasn't come up necessarily, and at least that's what I see in the theater of my mind. And as they come ashore and they kiss the ground, no sooner do they do that, they look up and they realize they've landed in a cemetery. And every cemetery at night is the same, right? Probably has that fine fog, that mist over it, right? And very quickly, this does become a horror movie. Because here is this demoniac who sleeps in the tombs and who has been, uh, he's been bound with shackles and chains. He's broken those. And I've got to believe that he shows up on a hill. They see the outline of this figure who then breaks into a dead run straight for him. And he's, he's naked and he's bleeding from cutting himself. He's got those chains hanging off of him. That crazy look in his eye. Rah! Right? And he makes a beeline straight for the, the, the disciples and for Jesus. And no doubt the disciples probably said, I'm out of here trying to get that boat back in the water as quickly as they could. But Jesus isn't running. He stands his ground, plants his feet, and here comes the demoniac and he falls down before Jesus. Jesus confidently stands before thousands of demons. How's He able to do that? Verse 7, I believe, gives us the answer. Where the demons, the demons say, what have you to do with us? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. They acknowledge the identity of Jesus, an identity that Jesus Himself is aware of. He has a compelling conviction of who He is. And so even, even the demons fall down and acknowledge this. This is a, a key component to how Jesus not only is able to stand there as this demoniac comes running straight for Him, but it's how He's able to remain steadfast throughout His ministry. He has opposition after opposition, he goes heads up with the religious leaders of his day time and again. How is he able to stand up under that? And part of the reason is because, again, he has a compelling conviction of who he is as the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then he also sees clearly the condition of the demoniac. That's why in verse 8 he's saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He sees clearly this man's condition. What is it that this demoniac has lost as a result of this demon possession? Well, he's lost his family. They don't want to hang out with the demon-possessed man. In fact, they tried to bind him, right? He's lost his home. He's, he's out, in the, out in the cemetery, out in the tombs. He's lost 
his mind. He's out of control. He has lost his identity. We never know his name, and, and we'll circle back to that in a moment. But when asked, what is your name, what does he say? Legion, for we are many. He's lost his name, lost his identity. He's lost fellowship with God because no demon-possessed person could go and worship at the temple. He has lost everything. This is the plight of the demoniac. He has nothing. And Jesus sees this, and he understands that this man is not worthless. He's not hopeless. He needs to come in contact with the power of God. That's what is needed. And so Jesus confidently confronts the, the, de the demoniac and the, the demons in particular. He's, Jesus is not afraid of evil. He's not timid in its presence. He says, come out, demon, come out. Come out, you unclean spirit. He addresses the problem. Could Jesus have taken off those chains? Could He have bound up the wounds of this man? Sure, he, he could have treated the symptoms without treating what was actually plaguing this man. But notice, Jesus bypasses the symptoms. He treats the disease because He knows if I treat the disease, the symptoms will clear up. So He casts out these demons, gave them permission, verse 13. And then, at the end of the story, verses 19 and 20, there is a call for cleansing. He says, go home and tell how much the Lord has done for you, how He has had mercy on you. See, that's what Jesus does, is He has mercy upon the man. The man is now clothed, verse 15. He's in his right mind. He's sitting there, whereas before, again, he was out of control. Now we see he's in control. And now he can have fellowship with God because he's experienced the mercy of the Lord, which is to say the mercy of Jesus. You notice the equation there between the Lord in verse 19, how much the Lord has done for you, and then verse 20, how much Jesus has done for you because He is the Lord Jesus. I mentioned about His name. We, we never know His name. Uh, the only time He speaks a name is it comes from the demons who say, we are legion. But I think there's uh, a reason for that. It's because He has a better name as a result of having come in contact with the power of God. He has become and is now called a son of God. He's become a son, a child of God. He no longer has the chains of his former life that bind him. He is now clothed with the, the Father's righteousness. There's freedom from captivity, both physical and spiritual. There's spiritual calmness now, sitting there in his right mind. And there's devotion to Christ. I want to go with you! But Jesus turns right around and give, commissions him to go back home and tell what the Lord has done for you. How He has had mercy on you. That's the commission. That's the mission. He's turned into a missionary to his own hometown. The Decapolis, which is a, a ten-city uh, area. 
has a story to tell now. And you know, as, as we see the steps of Jesus here, what can we carry across the bridge of time for us today? Have we been called to perform miracles? Well, not necessarily. If the good Lord sees fit to work miracles, praise God in our day and age. But we have been called to give attention to those who are living with great spiritual need. We've been called to confront the demoniacs of our day, if you will. And our world is still full of those who are demoniacs. Those who are enslaved to the power of the evil one. Come with me to Romans 6 for just a moment. Romans 6. We know Romans 6 because uh, at the beginning it talks about baptism. It's one of our key texts when talking to folks about baptism. But notice, as you come deeper into the chapter, Paul is drawing this contrast between being a slave to sin and a slave to righteousness. We pick up the reading in verse 17 of Romans 6. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin... That's where you were. That was your former life. A slave of sin. You become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. You see the two camps. And only two camps. There's not a third camp where you can kind of be a slave of sin and a slave of righteousness and you know I'm going to navigate this third way. You're either a slave of sin or you are a slave of righteousness, a slave of God. There's no middle ground. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness, but what, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you, were, you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, and the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, again, the, the sharp contrast between being a slave of sin and a slave of righteousness. And again, there's, there's no middle ground. Listen, we still confront demoniacs, as it were, today. There are still people who are enslaved to sin. They are slaves of impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. And we, as slaves of righteousness, slaves of God, are called to confront the powers of darkness with confidence. So how does it begin? We'll start in the same place with Jesus. He had a compelling conviction of who He was as the Christ, the Son of the living God. We need to know who we are. And who are we? We're sons of God. Children of God. Heirs of promise. Co-heirs with Christ. We are the redeemed of God. We are Christ's church. We are Christ's bride. We are children of the King. We need, again, that compelling conviction of who we are. And no matter how unpleasant, unsavory, or offensive someone may be, if we know 
who we are, we will endure. We will remain steadfast in ministry for the kingdom. And no matter how many people curse you, cuss you out, or conspire against you, you know who you are before God. You know whose you are. And you will not be deterred. It begins with a compelling conviction of who we are. We also need to clearly see other people's condition. There's a lot in our culture, our society, that very much seeks to blur lines, that, that very much seeks to avoid making uh, judgments. right? Because, hey, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. And that's exactly right when it comes to the final judgment, but we are called to be fruit inspectors. We are called to clearly see the condition of others. Who are the demoniacs of our day? Who are the people who are too far gone, as it were? Or at least how we see them. We must view folks according to the Gospel's ability to free them from the spiritual forces of darkness and the evil in their lives. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want us to read verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Again, talking about having a clear vision of other people's condition. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. He says, Do you not know? that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now immediately we see there not only is such behavior that it is classified as unrighteous, but that people who engage in that behavior are the unrighteous. Do not be deceived. Listen carefully. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, in no uncertain terms, presents a list of various categories of sin that people can be enslaved to. And many people are enslaved to these particular sins and then notice verse 11, and such were some of you. Can you hear the echo here from Romans 6? You were slaves of sin. What kind of sin? Uh, fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, uh, 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 theft, greed, drunkenness, reviling, swindling. Yeah, that kind of sin. You were that. Not you are still and you know, whatever. No, you were that. In, and again, it, it points to the fact that you are no longer that. Well, why not? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. By the way, it's a Trinitarian passage. You see it there, don't you? The Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, Spirit of our God, God the Father. Notice, washed, sanctified, justified. 
That's why you are no longer those things. You are now a slave of righteousness that leads to sanctification. You are a slave of God. But again, it begins with having a clear sense of other people's condition. Again, I ask, who are the demoniacs? Well, just from the list there in Romans chapter 6, we could talk about drug addicts, drunkards, that's addiction. We, we could talk about the LGBTQIA plus folks, because that's, that's listed there. We could talk about radical unbelievers, idolatry, what is that? But the, the crafting of uh, another God, even the God of self. Each one of those, we could break it down. Who Again, who are the ones who we deem too far gone? And do we have confidence that the, the, the gospel is power enough to break the chains of sin and impurity and all of it so that they can become slaves of righteousness and slaves of God? Our Lord Jesus did and so he confidently confronted the spiritual the demoniac in his day, and we can confidently confront the spiritual demoniacs of our day. Those who appear so completely enslaved to sin, who are spiritually out of control. And listen, that can be a very frightening thing. Absolutely. I don't know. If, I think I've shared before that uh, when I was growing up, my dad was addicted to substances, various substances, alcohol and drugs. Grew up in that house. And he was that way until uh, I was uh, 12. Had a car accident, radically changed his life, and now he's a, a deacon. He does a celebrate recovery for the Woodward Park Church down in Fresno. But growing up, Mom never hid it from us. We, we knew she would find dad's stash in the back bathroom, usually marijuana. She'd bring it out. She'd, she'd have me and my sister, we would smell it. So I knew what marijuana smelled like from a very young age. And then together we would flush it down the toilet. She would tell us, this is what has got a hold of your dad. I don't recall ever seeing it, but my mom would tell us that there were times when he was under the influence that she would look in his eyes and she didn't recognize what was staring back. That it was, it was something more than just a chemical. There was something spiritual going on there. And it can be a scary thing when someone you love who lives in your house is addicted to these things and it becomes out of control. We can and we must confront the spiritual demoniacs of our day. They do need to be confronted with the Word of God. Like Jesus, we can stand confidently upon the Word of God when we confront the demoniacs of our day. I'll tell you this, it may take time. Again, I was, I was 12 years old before uh, the Lord providentially intervened in my dad's life. <laughs> Even as I think about it, there's a, there's a bunch of different stories that stand out. Um, my dad would go to church most Sundays. 
right? He sat under the Word of God. He knew. He knew what the Scripture said. But so long as your heart remains in rebellion, you will do what you want. He didn't want uh, the things of God. And it did take a life-changing event. And that's the other aspect of this. Not only is it scary to confront the demoniacs in our lives, sometimes it's scary how God answers prayer. Are you, are you ready to pray that prayer? Where you say, God, do whatever you have to do to break the chains of darkness that are binding this person. Well, that's, just, that's a heavy prayer. But the beauty of the Gospel is the blood of Jesus Christ is able to provide cleansing. And there is freedom from captivity. This is Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Freedom from captivity to the law of sin and death, which says, you sin, you die. You're freed from that. And it's God in Christ who has set you free through the Spirit. There's also spiritual calmness. Remember, the demoniac is sitting there in his right mind after he's had an encounter with the power of God. Look with me again, Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's, that's spiritual calmness. Whereas before, again, the spirit of fear. Fear of what? Fear of judgment. Fear even of God. And it's not the reverential awe and respect. It's a sense of dread that you know you are under the wrath of God. You may suppress that truth in unrighteousness, but it's still true. You are under the wrath of God, and all it breeds is fear and dread and terror of the judgment of God. But in Christ Jesus, and with the Spirit now within us, now there is calmness. You no longer fear God with dread and terror. Now it is that reverential awe and respect where you stand before God, and by the Spirit within you, cry, Abba. Father, spiritual calmness. And then finally, devotion to Christ. I guess I'll give you the homework to do, which is to go and read again what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23, all the way into chapter 12 and verse 10. Right? 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, read all the way into chapter 12 and verse 10. What you see there is the radical devotion that Paul had to Christ after his conversion. Paul, by the way, who was Saul of Tarsus before that, who was a Christian-hating, church-persecuting, overzealous Jewish man, he has an encounter with Jesus. We, we, would, we could say, by the way, he was, he was out of control. He was, he was out of his mind in his devotion to what he thought was right. He has an encounter with the resurrected Christ. His life is never the same. He becomes a Christian-loving, church-planting, uh, uh, overzealous Christian 
And you read about his devotion here and just the, the list of the various things that he endured. Why? All of it for the sake of Christ. Devotion to Christ is what this cleansing will lead to. Do we have the expectation that God, through the Gospel, is able to do that? We need to know who we are. We need to know who we serve. We are God's people, and we stand in the gap, and we proclaim a message from King Jesus. And though the world does not like it, we can do no less, and we can do no other. But this is to be expected. Jesus promised, in this world you will have tribulation. Jesus told us, the world will hate you because it hates me. And the only way that we can continue to do what we do, even though so many doors may close, slammed in our face, is if we understand that the Gospel is powerful. And that it is able to do the work that we cannot do on our own. That it is the power of God for salvation, even of those that we may think are too far gone. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank You for this episode from the life of our Lord which is instructive to us as we seek to walk step in step with Jesus. Enable us, Father, by Your Spirit to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to confront with confidence the demoniacs of our day. May we do so with the boldness of knowing that it is not our power and it is not our wisdom that we are relying upon. That we are relying upon all of the resources that You provide us, Father, in Christ Jesus and through the Spirit. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.